Welcome to the Lord's Podcast with Will Rowe. Well, welcome along to this month's podcast. Here's what's coming up. I always remember those little white gates and said at some point that I'd love to be pushing those gates. And I thought I'll go for it and here luckily it came out the middle and, and just clear the ropes. The unmistakable voice of Viv Richards along with Gary Balance there. We'll be hearing from them later on the podcast. But first, I'm very pleased to be joined by a freelance cricket journalist who writes for Crick Info and All Out Cricket, among others, uh, Vidushan Ukhantharaja. I hope I pronounced that correctly, Vish. You've done that very well. Very Lovely. Well. Fantastic. And Middlesex batsman David Milan. Welcome both. Thank you. It's good to be here. How are we doing? Not too bad. Not too bad. It's nice seeing it kind of quite raw, isn't it? Look at that. You, you wouldn't want to bat on that, would you? Not really, no, it's a little bit green. It sort of looks like April, isn't it? So, um, but it's different seeing Lords with the whole marquee and everything up. I'm not used to anything blocking that lovely pavilion, so um, yeah, different view. Well, we're in the month of October, and as you say, it's, uh, it's quite a different looking Lords. We can't get away from it. We're going to have to talk about it. Kevin Peterson, the autobiography, it's stolen pretty much every cricket headline uh, for the last few weeks. Vish, I'll throw it straight to you. Where do England go from here? Uh, only up, surely. I mean, it's. Uh, I think the radio silence from the ECB has been kind of understandable, and at the same time, probably something they need to break relatively soon. Um, we could probably go have a word with them now, but I don't know if they'd want that. But yeah, I mean, he's uh, he's taken a few names in his book, hasn't he? And certainly they've responded. I know Swan said some stuff yesterday that he didn't necessarily agree with, or well, he said stuff over the last couple of weeks that he hasn't necessarily agreed with Peterson's version of events, and I think Pryor's going to speak tomorrow. So, yeah, well, as far as where English cricket goes, um, probably it's probably a good thing that, you know, the next series is away in Sri Lanka, and they've got a World Cup to concentrate on now. Um, yeah, it's quite, it's not a nice place to be in. And I, you know, even from a journalistic point of view, I've not really enjoyed any of it. Um, it'd be nice to actually talk about some cricket as well so you know I think they've, they've got a lot of, lot of stuff they need to address I mean if there is this bullying culture in there which I think might have been blown out of proportion a tad because I don't necessarily think a happy dressing room is a winning dressing room I think a winning dressing room becomes a happy dressing room but yeah I mean it's it's been pretty sad to see to be honest um, sad that we've you know the greatest English batsman of all time certainly the leading run scorer has been you know toughed out and that he's dragged everyone kicking and screaming with him. Yeah, it has been quite a, a sad for English cricket at the moment. I think that's the kind of underlying um, sort of perception from most people. David, obviously, I don't want you, you don't have to commentate um, too much on it, but as, as a current cricketer, and how was it kind of received amongst some of the players, maybe? Yeah, look, it's, it's obviously a difficult one when one of the greatest players that have played for England has come out and said, um, the things he has and, you know, taking down some of his players. Um, look, I played under Andrew Strauss at Middlesex and the sort of change in that he tried to bring into Middlesex was the same one he had at, at, at sort of when he was involved with England. So um, if they're pretty similar, then obviously it'd be quite hard to believe some of the things that were said. Obviously, I'm not saying that's not the case. It might still have happened, whatever it may be, because there's obviously been different captains and um, what have you. So, um, but look, from from a player's point of view, obviously it's... It's interesting just to have a different view on what happens in the English change room because for some of us that have never been there and potentially could never be there, um, you know, it is obviously a downside of it, but, you know, it's something that you want to do and play for England, but, you know, at the end of the day, it's just nice to see something different or hear something different. They can't always be happy places. I mean, it goes without saying, this year at Middlesex, there must have been times, 
when you're in that relegation dogfight where the dressing room probably wasn't the nicest place in the world to be. Look, I think I think a healthy change room is a change room where people can be honest with each other, where something said, people accept it, you listen to it. If you don't agree with it, you obviously make your point. But then as soon as that's been said, it goes straight under the bridge and you move on. Because um, at the end of the day, you've got to be man enough to accept criticism and you've got to be... Um, you've got to almost sort of be a leader in that sense to actually dish out that that criticism and you can't just say what you want and you can't just bring up any odd thing that you think is the right thing you've actually got to think about it and if if the criticism is the right criticism people accept it people take that people learn from that and I think that's what a healthy change room is not all this oh smiley we're best mates we get along which everyone does at the end of the day but there's got to be that time where you can be harsh with each other and you can be straightforward with each other and people accept that and move on after that to make it a better team to make it to get the results that you want out of the field and just to finish on our discussion on Kevin Peterson Vish can can he play for England again now or is, is this the final chapter has he has he burnt the bridges and does English cricket move on without him because he still harbours hopes of playing for England yeah I mean I, can't, I just can't see it happening I mean Cook's going to be captain for a while and if it's not Cook it's going to be probably Bell but Cook's going to still be very much a part of that side and Maybe it's telling that he hasn't hammered Cook as much as he has done the other players, but I, can't, I mean I can't see him coming back in. You can't say all those things, especially about you know the bowling contingent of Anson and Broad, who feature fairly heavily in it, and come back into that dressing room. And I think he kind of knows that he has to say that he still has ambitions to play for them. Um, I think there was a chance that he maybe might have done if Richard Gould had got the um, position at the ECB, because then he could have broken a series of things that would have eventuated maybe at least the discussion being had as to whether Peterson can come back. But no, no. And to be honest, I think I think Dylan is probably happy. You know, he might not seem it, certainly doesn't seem it from the book, but, you know, guy's playing golf. So it looks like he's getting pretty good at golf. He's getting kitted out with all these um, fancy damn things. And he can play, you know, he can play the cricket he, he enjoys. And probably the cricket he's going to be better suited to because he's been dealing with a few injuries as well. So... No, I, I, I wish him, wish him all the luck in the world. He's certainly given me so much, um, just even from a fan's perspective. So, I mean, I can't thank him enough for that, but I can't see any way that he's going to come back into that England team. Well, there you go. That's the, that, you have the final say on it, Vish. Um, <laughs> moving on to slightly more, well, much nicer matters. David, it's, it's great to have you here today and you've had a fantastic season. So congratulations on that. Player of the year and you've signed a, a new three-year deal at, at Middlesex. Uh, what does that mean to you? Um, yeah, thank you, first of all. Um, yeah, look, I think I was in a tough position after last year. Um, you know, Middlesex sort of focused a lot on the four-day game and, you know, to score 300 and something runs at 20, whatever it was, um, wasn't the best season. Um, wasn't even close to a half-decent season. Wasn't even close, close to a poor season. It was that bad. Um, so, obviously, from my point of view, it was disappointing. I felt like I owed the club, especially with the amount that they've invested in me over the last couple of years. So, you know, so it was nice for me to sort of give back to that extent and, and to sort of earn another three-year contract at the club. Um, so, yeah, so now it's just down to me to have to try and back up what I did this year and try and be as consistent as I can. We'll come on to those stats in just a moment's time because they are quite remarkable, your turnaround this year. Um, but first, I'd like to look at a few Twitter questions that we have for you today. Um, we ran the campaign yesterday um, on hashtag AskDavid. We've had some interesting questions coming up, so... I'll fire away and uh, see what you have to say to those fans out there. Um, Martin Fryer on Twitter, who I believe you know quite well, has said, how many hours will you be putting in on the bowling machine this winter? Yeah, that's a shock. Big Fryer's uh, coming involved, got himself involved in this one. Um, 
Like Martin's our second team scorer and sort of hangs around the team like a bad smell. So um, <laughs> I think um, if he's going to be around, I'll be spending a hell of a lot of time on the bowling machine because he's going to be the one feeding to me. So um, yeah, the more hours, the better if he's around. Fantastic. The next question comes from uh, Keith Khan, who's at Thomas underscore 67. What's it like playing with Owen Morgan? Morgie's, uh, you know, he's, he's a special guy. Um, he's someone that you look up to. He's someone that he's a, he's a natural born leader um, and he's awesome to watch, you know, and to stand on the opposite side and just watch him play the way he does is just something different. You know, he, he hits shots that you think, you know, I'm looking at a boundary thinking, oh, well, that's a big boundary. I shouldn't be taking that on. And he walks straight in and whacks it over the top for six, 20 yards in, uh, sorry, 20 yards further on. And you're like, it's just, you know, it's just, it's, it's an awesome experience to back with someone like that. Um, you know, at the times we played him, we had Gilchrist that was here um, that did exactly the same thing. You back the other end and think, wow, that's just something different. Um, and he's in that same same sort of boat. It's funny you should say that about Morgan because I actually think watching you two, you're actually fairly similar the way you play. Like, you're both very entertaining to watch and you kind of, you know, you manipulate the ball in, uh, in different ways and especially in one-day cricket. Like, you know, that's kind of, you know, even during that season where you didn't do so well on four-day stuff, you know, your one-day stuff has always been always been up there and I can there's definitely a similarity between you and Morgan especially when you get going and start to hammer them cheers <laughs> <laughs> well, there's some nice praise I, I think Morgan hits it a bit further than me but um but yeah look he's he's an unbelievable cricket and he's proved that over a period of time for England and with the IPL and wherever he's played all the different countries he, he finds a way to do it so um you know as I said from from a playing point of view it's unbelievable to stand the other end and watch it Next question, Alan Franklin on Twitter says, why didn't you reply to his tweet to congratulate you on reaching 1,000 runs this season? My social media, um, sort of the way I look at it, doesn't really sort of feature in my life. I'm, I'm pretty bad at replying to things and I haven't even replied to your email from yesterday, to be honest. So, uh, <laughs> so no, look, um, I apologise for that. Thank you very much for your, uh, for your message. It's appreciated. I'm, as I said, I'm just terrible at on social media no oh, parody accounts or anything like that no parody no, accounts good. nothing of that steady can't remember the password steady. my own account so uh, <laughs> that'd be pretty hard next question James Fenn has asked um, it's all in the news at the moment what's your favourite cricket book or autobiography um, I've read Shane Warnes and Gary Kirsten's um, look Gary Kirsten's someone that I looked up to growing up as a kid uh, and he's someone that I've done a lot of work with um, as a player um, so I'd say Gary Kirsten's would be the one um, as is my role model as well Fantastic um, Evie on Twitter this is a slightly odd question and I need to give it a bit of background but the question in question is is the oddest request for a photo uh, still this one with Cowbull in 2009 and we've got an image here which doesn't really work for audio but David, it's you in 2009 at a Middlesex signing session with what appears to be a small stuffed cow. Yeah, I said to you earlier when you showed me that I just cannot remember having that photo taken. <laughs> I probably blanked it out of my memory, but yeah, look, um, yeah. <laughs> that's up there with the oddest. But can look, I keep that? <laughs> yeah, do you want it? Look at that gear as well. well is... Maybe you could get David to sign it after the podcast, but there no, we no, go. It's, it's all good fun. It's, um, it's all good memories. So um, as long as it made... Is it Evie? As long as it made her happy, it's uh, all that matters. You look but, pretty chuffed there as well. <laughs> I had to laugh. The other boys are... Yeah. The other boys <laughs> He's are holding up a there. stuffed cow. What, <laughs> what do you expect the man to do? And, and finally, Catherine Kyle. I'm not sure how serious this one is. 
says, how would you feel about a game of shirtless cricket? Yeah, it depends if Tim Mercer's playing or not. If he's playing, I'm, I'm voting against the shirts. But if there's other guys who've got the shirts, then I'm sure other people would love to watch that. But yeah, Tim Mercer, Ollie Rayner will stay away from, will keep their shirts on. <laughs> Lovely. Well, thanks for asking those questions and thanks again for sending them in on Twitter. Um, just going back to what we were talking about a moment ago, last season you averaged just over 20 with the bat in county cricket. This season, over 45. Um, where did you get the confidence to, to turn it around just so well? Um, so it's funny enough. So last year, it was it was one of those weird seasons where when I played white ball stuff, I was seeing the ball as big as a house. I was, well, I was getting forward and back with ease. I was hitting the ball where I wanted. But as soon as I went into the four-day game, I almost changed the way I played totally. I became very tentative and I tried to survive instead of trying to score runs. Um, and that was a massive change that I had this year, whereas I'd rather be playing a shot scoring than trying to just sit around defending, waiting for these guys to get you out and just bowl you a good ball or a half-decent ball and you just push it in and, and, and you nick off at the end of the day. So, you know, I went away. I, I did work for Gary Kirsten again this winter. Um, I worked on my areas that I want to score. I worked on my intent when I'm trying to score and when I'm playing, even if it's a normal defensive shot. And, um, you know, the Bangladesh thing that I played in last year after the season sort of gave me a lot of confidence the sense that you know I'd done it in a different country as well I'd scored runs there coming back doing work with Kirsten all sort of coincided with me getting my confidence back and you know a couple of times beginning of the year even pre-season I felt really good my movements were good and everything that I worked on felt felt good and I was happy with it and that's a massive thing if you're happy in the nets and you're happy with how your game feels it sort of usually happens in the game as well um if you take that confidence in, then you try and play that same way and you back yourself. So are you, are you one of these players that likes to go and do a lot of work in the nets? Because some players, if they're out of form, they try and stay away from the nets. But for you, it's getting back there and hitting as many balls as possible. I, I absolutely love hitting green balls. Um, you know, our season finished, what, two or three weeks ago, and me and Steve Eskenazi have been in the nets working on different things, working on things that I can use in Bangladesh when I go in two weeks' time, and he's doing things that he's going to work in Australia and things that Middlesex have asked him to improve on. Um, so there's always time for improvement. There's always time for you to work on the things, and, and I'm massive on that. Um, because during the season, you don't really have a lot of time to work on your game because it's sort of there's different tournaments. You're on the road all the time. You might have a couple of mornings, uh, nets before the morning. So anything that I can get to, to keep my game exactly the same and to work on those basics, I take every single time. And it's quite nice to have Vish here because against North Hants at Lords this season, it was your first ton in county cricket in I think about two years, since 2012. Vish, you were here watching and reporting on the game. What do you remember from watching David from up here and, and how did it look? Uh, it looked good. I mean... It's it's always kind of hard to tell. Like David's one of those players where when he's out of form, you only can you can only really tell from the scores. That like, sounds a bit stupid to say, but like I remember the in two thousand thirteen that Surrey game, you know where Robbo and um, and Rogers following on, you know they put on something ridiculous and Rogers ended up getting a double ton. I think you came in in the first innings and hit thirty, but you timed one. You timed like a forward defence through cover, and so anyone watching that in isolation would be like. God, look, he's in great form. So when you get out, it's obviously there's always that perception, especially with a player like yourself, that you feel that maybe from the outside that you've just got yourself out, rather than you know having yeah. these difficulties that you've documented just now. So it was really good to see kind of everything kind of coming coming together because you felt you looked a lot more confident. You know, obviously the shots were there, but you were 
you batted for a long time. You you know you ended up batting into the next day, didn't you? From yeah. um, you know you resumed overnight and you looked pretty comfortable there. And I think Middlesex declared eventually. Um, but yeah, you. I mean, as I said before, you know you always look good, and it's really just it seems the case for you that you know the longer you're out there, you're gonna score runs. And it looks like you know from from speaking to you afterwards, you were talking about how much you were doing over the winter and what you've improved on and you, you, know, you looked relieved didn't you you know to get that score yeah well it was a it was a nervous two hours that morning <laughs> um, I think I only scored 20 runs in that morning I uh, couldn't get the ball off the square they bowled they hung the ball really wide and I think I got dropped in the 90s playing an absolute terrible shot um, <laughs> you know which is what you need you need a bit of luck when things aren't haven't gone your way and um, you know I was fortunate enough to get a bit of luck and managed to get there but as you said you you know it's, it's a horrible feeling when you're feeling good and you're hitting the ball well and you just cannot get a score. Um, and it's just having that belief that eventually it will turn. Um, and I believe that all of last year it didn't turn once. So, um, you know, luckily it happened this year. It's just the way it works. How do you deal with that? Because so, like, you, you would hit shots where, you know, you've timed the ball well and it's, it's coming on nicely. But is that just a split-second feeling or is that something that, you know, you can carry through? I think it's all the movement. So you know personally if... A guy bowls you a good length ball if you've gone forward to it, if you've got in the right position, if you're trying to hit the ball in the right area, you know, you you feel comfortable. If it does nip a little bit and it gets to the edge and it goes down third man, so be it. But as long as you felt like you're in a good position. Whereas I think last year in the four day cricket, I felt like I was going back to full balls and then I was trying to overcompensate with that by lunging at the shorter ones. And I sort of got myself into a massive mixture of of not knowing forward or back, I was hanging my bat out to the stump. I was trying to change my guard because I kept nicking off, and I went to leg side and I nicked it. Then I went to offside. And I was LBW, and it just so you know, things just go wrong. It's just and and everyone always says cricket's a simple game. You see ball, you hit ball, and if you can stick to that, and you watch someone like Kevin Peterson used to do that when he played. He used to play the same way no matter what. He used to back himself whether he was out of form, in form, and the bloke averaged fifty over a Test career. So um, you know that's. That's something that I took out of it, and from speaking to ex-players as well, it's all about keeping that same game and trusting that it will change. Lovely. Well, another player that's had a fantastic year is another number three, Yorkshire's Gary Balance, uh, playing for England. Um, still extremely new to international cricket, Balance has made the step up with surprising ease, considering he's been asked to bat in that number three position, which he's not used to doing. Uh, against both Sri Lanka and India this summer, Balance made centuries here at Lords. Um, here he describes why the ground is special to him. Walking into Lords, you know, the first day of a test, or actually any day of a test, is, is well, I've got to say test, but even a, even a game for, for Yorkshire is a, is a great feeling. You know, there's always a buzz around the place. There's, you know, there's that um, atmosphere that uh, you don't get anywhere else in the world. Um, it's very special, to be honest. And, um, yeah, even if, you've, even if you've done it once or you've done it four or five times, it's, it's still a great feeling. And... You know, even you know, coming here over the over the summer, you know, had a few games, had one with Yorkshire, and then two with with two tests with England, and that was that was a great great experience, and it was just amazing walking through the long room, going out to field, going out to bat, and then you know, coming out after you know scoring a hundred was was very special. That century against Sri Lanka was Balance's second Test match for England, and he went to his first Test hundred in style, smashing a six over deep square leg. Obviously, he didn't have a great first in the second innings. You know, we were. Say a bit of trouble, but we lost a few wickets, so had a chance just to build an innings, and it was it was nice to to get to 50, and then after that had an opportunity to to kind of kick on and, and try and score runs quickly, which was quite nice, you know, batting with guys at the other end who, who were scoring quickly. So yeah, so 
was um, was able to play quite freely and and you know to get 100 in the in the last over of the day you know was was very special and um, thought to myself I could try and you know nerd on my way to 100 yeah but I might not get to face any more balls so I might be stuck on 98 not out so I thought I'll go for it and yeah luckily it came out the middle and and just cleared the ropes certainly one for the grandkids isn't it I went to my first Test 100 with a six at Lords um, we've all been there. <laughs> I think he did that against us as well. I think did he? he? Only ran into the stand for six to, to get this hundred as well. Yeah. So he warmed up against Middlesex doing it, and then Test match day, I'll do the exact same thing. Um, David, how hard a role is it to bat in that number three spot? And it's quite amazing that balance has almost been a revelation this season for England in a role he's never batted in before. Yeah, look, obviously Gary's had to come in and, and replace Jonathan Trott, who's was phenomenal for England uh, and potentially could still be and you know Gary's um, been one of the most consistent players in county cricket for a number of years and he absolutely deserved his spot and I think his technique's been you know pretty good in England conditions and you know he's suited for that number three spot that he leaves well he's got that balance between attack and defence um, and I think he's suited for it and, and as long as he keeps scoring runs there's no reason why he can't stay there and can't, can't keep scoring runs um, and to be honest, I was pretty much in a similar position. I batted four and five pretty much my whole career. And after the season I had last year, the only spot available was number three. Um, so I had to take it and I had to approach it in a, in a different way. And, you know, I still try to play the same way that I would play if I was batting at four. And, you know, I think early on in the season, I was pretty much in the first couple of overs every time. So I think that got me switched on a little bit more in that sense, instead of sitting around waiting for an hour or two before you bat. Um, sort of helped me get used to the position um, and because of the fact that you were walking in when it could be 20 for 1 or 60 for 1 or 100 for 1 it was sort of a position where if you went in and you didn't come off the team was sort of on the back foot so it gave me that added, ad, extra added bit of pressure to actually try and get through and actually try and get through that hard time um, and, and I loved the challenge um, I absolutely loved that so it was good did you have to do anything differently in your preparation? Because, as you say, you you had to face the new ball quite early on in in England in April. I mean, did you did you change anything before the season? I think I think I look back at my the first year or two of me playing county cricket, and the thing that struck me then that I did really well was the fact that I left really well. Um, and the last couple of years, I've been playing a balls on fourth fifth stump, and you know, I'd almost let the bowlers just bowl it because, and and I'd hang my bat. Um, so over the, the winter, I worked on playing my lines, playing the, the line of off stump. And if I nick it from off stump, I nicked it. Good ball. Nothing I can do about it. But if I'm playing the balls on fourth, fifth stump, that's my own fault. And I was quite hard on myself. And, and you know, working out when to leave was massive for me because um, you almost got through those the, the, the opening bowler spell. And then when the first change bowlers come, you get a couple of bad balls early on and suddenly you're on 20, 30 and you're away. Um, and I think that's that's something that made a massive difference to my game. It's a similar sort of criticism that was levelled at Alistair Cook, wasn't it? When he was out of form, people would say he's not leaving very well, whereas what Cook was good at was leaving and making the bowlers bowl to him. And I guess you've got to have that as a number three because it really is a specialist position. Yeah, I mean, it's, you've got to have what the, the aptitude and the patience of an opener and then potentially the kind of destructive powers of number four. Um, I think it's... I think it's mad why anyone would want to bat there. Seriously, I, 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 I agree. I, <laughs> it's, You're mad. <laughs> it's just uh, just sitting there waiting. You know, you could be in second ball. You could be in like kind of at the end. You know, near the end of the day after tea. It's just 
it's crazy. You need to have something about you. And then, you know, the fact that you scored those runs at number three is a credit to you, but I don't, I don't understand how people do it. Just stick to five or six. <laughs> Wait till the openers go. Well, Chris Rogers always reckons he'd be averaging seven if he batted six. <laughs> so he probably would. So. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's a position that I've, uh, I just find it's crazy. That would be an interesting question, actually, though. What, do you reckon a, an opener or a number four is better suited to number three? Um, well, I opened, I've opened a bit in my career and, you know, I found it totally different walking out there after being in the dirt for, say five or six sessions and then walking out still tired not having a time to think whereas I still find found with number three even if you got in the first over you still probably had 12 13 14 minutes to sit down relax you know you don't feel rushed you could just sort of get in the change room put your pads on sit down and even if you're out in that time I found that made a difference to me instead of opening uh, where you've been in the dirt um, so I'd say it was be closer to four but and, and you touched on it so you have the the patience of an opener, but you still have the attacking ability of a guy in the middle order. So you look at someone like Hashi Mumla that dominates, you know, he, he leaves well, you can't get him out, but he scores at a good rate in test cricket. Callis was the same when he played. Ricky Ponting was the same. Um, they all dominated, but still were able to get through those hard hard periods, which I think a good number three needs to have that. I'm not saying I'm a good number three because I've only done it once, so the challenge for me is to back it up. But, you know, if I could manage to do that, consistently in the next three years while I'm in Middlesex, then, you know, I'd be happy with it. History and cricket with the Lords podcast. In late September, one of the game's finest ever cricketers was at Lords for a charity dinner. The man in question was Sir Vivian Richards. The legendary West Indies batsman said that playing at Lords was a dream come true. Uh, as a little boy, I can remember I first came here in 1972, 73. Uh, we went to Alf for cricket school uh, and the first place that I wanted to come was to, to see you know, the headquarters of cricket and I always remember those little white gates and said at some point that I'd love to be pushing those gates and, and finally, fu- funny enough, um, the dreams that you had came through. Uh, who tell you that um, anyone that says to you that you're a dreamer, you tell them to get away mm-hmm. because sometimes dreams do come true. And, this place has always been um, the place that I appreciate more than anything else, especially when you, you have those whites on. One thing that cricket fans will remember Richards for was his famous swagger as he strolled to the crease. However, the man himself says it should never be confused for arrogance. I like to think, always felt that I was pretty much grounded. And um, being grounded, that's of uh, enormous health. And you took things in your strides and not to... Um, it may look um, as arrogant as there's anything out there. You know, um, there are folks who sometimes felt that way, that I was the most arrogant person on earth. No, it's, I just believe in what Vivian Richards was doing, and um, I hope that's uh, 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 a decent enough um, explanation for those folks who thought that way. I just felt that um, when I was out there, I believed in me, and I believe uh, in the team that we had. Confidence, arrogance, self-belief, it's a fine line between them all, but I mean, he was certainly, there was a reason that he had self-belief, wasn't there? I mean, it was, he was class. Yeah, yeah, I mean, he was before my time, but even just watching him on, um, watching clips of him on YouTube, you can see that he was, he was ahead of his, wasn't he? I mean, it just, the way he hit the, the way he hit the ball with those skinny little bats, I mean, it's, he, he was just a monster. 
I mean, talking about confidence, and we were talking about Kevin Peterson earlier, who's certainly a player that has a lot of confidence. David, I wanted to ask, you know, there must be times when you're out in the middle and you see someone at the crease and you just think, as a fielding side, we're never going to get him out. Like, how do we get him out? And I think there must be some players like that who just exude that confidence. I think, yeah, I think it's more presence than anything. So it's the presence that you show at the crease when you're walking up and down, when you're tapping the crease, uh, sorry, the wicket, um, it's all about the presence you show. If you come in, if, if you see batsmen walking in and they sort of stand back a little bit and they sort of, they don't really look like they're coming at you, you know, you almost feel like you can get on top of them. But some of the guys, so we played the 2020 against Kevin Peterson here at the Surrey game that we were talking about earlier and he came out to the crease and suddenly the whole, the whole atmosphere changed up there, not just because of what he's done in his career but just because he was out there he was bigger than everyone else he had that presence like you know I'm going to dominate and there's a lot of those players in county cricket where you look at them and you think as you said how are we going to get this guy out we just need one good ball hopefully get this guy out um, and I think most of the batsmen that play that have that have that presence the confidence the, the arrogance but as Mr Richard said there it's all it's all in the balance if you're too arrogant you, the game will bring you back down to down to soil it's funny because he also said in that interview that he was talking about his father and his father said that when Viv Richards was in, you need to say a prayer to get him out. So <laughs> there was obviously, there was a certain amount of confidence there and also just some absolute belief. But I guess you every now and again, you get these players a bit like Viv Richards and, it, and in other sports. Let, let's look at Usain Bolt, for instance. When he walks out, he knows he's going to win and he knows that the other nine runners don't stand a chance. So I guess certain guys, and it might be unfair to put Viv in there, because they're on, they're on a higher plane, aren't they, almost? It's, they're, all, they're bigger than the sport. So maybe it doesn't quite always apply to, to maybe mere mortals. No, I think to be a professional sportsman, you need to have a bit of arrogance about you. And you know, it's the, the line between confidence and arrogance is a you know it's a fine one, but I don't think it's a bad thing to spill over into arrogance, especially if you know if you're a batsman. You know your your game is built around confidence. You know some people have got awful techniques. So for example, Graham Smith, you wouldn't necessarily um, teach Graham Smith's um, technique to anyone, but the confidence he had with it and the way he played the game and you know the numbers he posted, he was an incredible performer. And like you say with Usain Bolt, like if he's putting those stupid shapes and then coming in fifth, you know. <laughs> it's a joke, isn't it? But he knows that he does. You know, he has his routine, and he knows if someone's going to beat me, they're going to have to run pretty damn fast. Do you think ever when when you're playing the game, David, that some players, because as as a fan, you will sometimes watch and you think, well, these guys are all about as good as each other. But why is it that some of them are always just pushing that bit more? And is that a bit maybe a bit more self belief or massively? So I can uh, let me use Owen Morgan for example, right? So Chris Rogers spoke to him about one day cricket, about twenty twenty cricket, and, and so Morgan would have an innings where he they'd have three guys on the leg side, and Morgan would just keep going boom six, like taking them on, and Rogers would speak to him afterwards and go, like, how do you do that? Like I look at that and go, it's three guys in the boundary, I miss hit one, I'm out. Morgan goes. His reply to him was, you know, I back myself. I know if I middle it, it goes for six. So I don't even worry if there's a guy there. I back myself. That's my scoring area. Okay, how many guys you put there? If I middle it, it will go for six. And that's just the difference between someone like Morgie, who's unbelievable in one-day cricket, and Buck, who's more the more tentative one in one-day cricket, where he takes a safer option. That's the total difference. And that's why Morgie dominates in one-day cricket uh, compared to someone like a Buck Rogers. Not that he struggles in one-day cricket, but it's just 
the different confidence on taking taking down bowlers at times when other people can't. And Chris Rogers can play that shot. He just doesn't play it in yeah. that situation. He, yeah. So he, he sort of sees it as a risky shot, whereas yeah. Morgies goes, I don't see that as a risky shot. I know if I middle it, it goes for six. No matter how big the boundaries, no matter where those guys are, if I hit my ball, it will go for six. I guess it's a bit like some golfers. They say, I'm taking that shot on, I'm going to land it next to the pin, whereas other ones say, I'll just lay up on yeah. the fairway. And they can all play the shots, but it's that belief yeah. and confidence to go for it, which maybe separates some... In, well, in cricket, cricket's an interesting one because, as you're saying, in, in certain forms of the game, confidence can do different things. So I suppose technically as well, if he if he's confident enough to know that if I play this shot, it'll go for six, rather than someone seeing three out and thinking, I've got to hit this really hard if it's going to go for six, if I'm going to be totally confident that it's going to clear all of them. And I suppose that's when you swing too hard and kind of lose your shape and, and sky one. He, yeah, it's... Yeah, it's a fine line, and there are a few people who are, who are lucky to be above it. Well, it's a fascinating debate, especially going beyond cricket as well. But to finish off the podcast, um, I'd like to test your confidence on uh, <laughs> the, 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 the Bicentenary Podcast Quiz, which is a quiz that I've been rolling out this year in the Lord's Podcast. It's got nothing to do with the Bicentenary of Lord's Cricket Ground except for the name. You're purely guessing people's ages. You've got to go for the older and you win, basically. So you've got to tell me who's older. You're up against each other, so it's very competitive. Um, so here we go. David, I'll let you go first as um, as the player. That is, uh, seems to be the form that we go with. Who is older, Joss Butler or Taylor Swift? I'll go with Butler. I'm going with Swift. Joss Butler is older by a few months. So there you go. So 1-0 to... Um... Ooh, beauty. <laughs> I think he's looking through the paper as well. No. Are there answers on there? Yeah, well, no, they are, but you can't see, no. I wish my eyes were that good. <laughs> <laughs> um, Vish, who is older? Mike Brearley or Brian Ferry? Roxy Music rocker, Brian Ferry. I think he showed his daughter around my school once. That doesn't help at all, does it? Um, There's Mike really showing his daughter on these schools. No, no, maybe because he's too young. To, no, he's quite old, isn't he? Um, I'm going to go with Ferry. He's older. Opposite. Opposite. Well, it gives you a 2-0 lead. Mike really is indeed <laughs> older. Um, well, this could be it now. Um, David. Who plays here? <laughs> Who is older, Andrew Flintoff or Coldplay frontman Chris Martin? I'll go the Coldplay, Chris Martin. Fish. <laughs> but if I say the same, he's still going to win. Well, I no, it, right. you could, it could be 2-0 or 2 to play. Yeah. You could be playing for a draw here. How British would that be? Oh, God. Um, <laughs> God, i got Chris Martin as well. You're both correct. Chris Martin's yes. one years old. Oh, it's getting exciting now. <laughs> um, Viv Richards. This is you, Viv. Um, uh, Vish, sorry. <laughs> Viv Richards or Dame Helen Mirren, who is older? Jeez. Couldn't uh, say Helen Mirren. Viv. It's 2 1. Ah, so it's, uh, yeah, it's Dame Helen Mirren is older by seven years. Seven years? How about that? <laughs> to finish off, um, still a lot to play for. 2 1 to you, David. Surav Ganguly. Or Lenny Kravitz? Lenny Kravitz. Why not? 
Oh God, give me Ganduli. It is Lenny Kravitz, oh, so there you go. Shambles. <laughs> An utter shambles. Fix. 3 1 2. Fix. <laughs> so, the, so the cricketer beats the journalist 3 1, so that's, um, I guess it's fitting. Um, to finish off with, you mentioned the uh, Bangladesh 50 over stuff that you're going to play. What else is on your horizon in the next few months? So, play that if all goes well and I perform, the team performs, then I'll probably head to South Africa sort of mid December. Uh, spend time with the parents and then once again do my winter work out there with Gary Kirsten and the person I do my fitness things with. So that's, Great. that's for me. Great stuff. So, well, thank you very much for coming on the podcast. Hope you've enjoyed it. Thank you very much. Vish, what have you got coming up? What's what's next on the horizon? I'm trying to convince people to let me go to the World Cup. Um, not anyone, not selection-wise. <laughs> not to play? No, no, I don't think I'll do a good job, I reckon. Not out in Australia, anyway. Um, but yeah, no, uh, pretty much the same old, same old, really. A uh, few, maybe winter away, maybe the Lions. Uh, yeah, just see how it goes, but it should be good. Unless the, the new era of English cricket is upon us. There you go. Well, any editors listening, uh, <laughs> Vish is gunning for work, so there you go. You know where to find him. Well, many thanks for tuning in. We'll be back next month with more cricketing stories from Lords. So remember to follow us on Twitter. Our handle's at Home of Cricket. Be our friend on Facebook. And for all the latest news from Lords, just go to lords.org. See you soon. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh, yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.